directly with the correct amount. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. www.d20radio.com Thought for the day, there is no time for peace, no respite, no forgiveness, there is only war. Hello Boneheads and welcome to episode 40 of the Grimdark Podcast. This is James. And this is Mike. If this is your first time listening to the show, we're a podcast devoted to role-playing in the 41st millennium, using the gaming systems created by Fantasy Flight Games. Each episode we cover a different game system, but before we get into our actual episode topics for the day, let's talk about our Fortnite in gaming, as we always do. Yep. So, in terms of non-Fantasy Flight Games or non-40k games, I ran my Scion game for that group and you ran your Mage game. Yep. But I suppose... Most importantly, as we played our friend Matt's Black Crusade game in the last fortnight. Yes. So, Mike, I mean, sorry to you, how do you think that game went? Um, I, I think overall it went quite well. We picked up an awful lot of corruption, but um, <laughs> that might, I suppose, be warranted considering the way we did and it was a Slanesh compact and, yeah, it was more about the corruption, I think. Yeah, I mean, I have to, I have to basically out you. So, I think that you tried to use a psychic power and push. Twice in a row. Yeah, well, okay, so, but, but the... The first time you did it, I believe that you you got uh, uh, you got a peril of the warp. Yep. And then you, even though you've got the what's it? Is it child of the warp? Let's you roll three dice and yeah, it's the uh, the um, Zinch thousand sun special oh, okay. ability. Yeah, okay. You yeah. can roll you can roll uh, an extra dice and substitute one of the dice. So, and and the best result you can get was to be thrown. 3D 10 metres in the air and take falling damage. Yeah, 20 something metres in the air. Yeah, and then, you know, which took you to like minus two straight away. Yeah. <laughs> and then the, in the same combat, ended up fighting a demon engine. And when it was destroyed, it exploded and you were right next to it. Yes. So, and I got killed. And you got killed. So that, that was some burn infamy for you. And, and because I, being playing a, a worshipper of Nurgle and Mike playing a worshipper of Zinch. Um, when I landed the killing blow on the on the demon engine, which exploded and killed Mike, I said to the GM, "You know, oh, is that would that count as killing a champion of, of Siege?" <laughs> the GM said, "Yeah, sure, you have the points." <laughs> so yeah. I got I got bonus infamy for killing Mike indirectly. It wasn't yeah. it wasn't deliberate. I didn't know demon engines explode. Falling damage and the exploding demon engine both come back to my biggest problem with these games, which is damage which completely ignores armor unless it's walled against. Sorcery. Oh, by the way, we're not going to include rules for warding armor against sorcery in any book. You can just make that stuff up. Yeah, it could be in a future supplement. You never know. Yeah, right. <laughs> but I think I think it was still a fun game overall. But oh, like, definitely. I mean, we've spoken about this game before. But basically, Matt wants to run it in quite a short campaign. His original idea was five to six games, but it might turn out to be more like about sort of I don't know eight to ten games in the end. Yeah. Um, but. Uh, one of the things he wanted was to sort of compress up the time as such. So each game takes place several months after the last game, you know, so we have big XP awards. You know, we get infamy and corruption quite fast. And I guess for for the amount of corruption we picked up at last game versus the relatively low infamy, I think that the actual compact award was like three infamy and 12 corruption. Yeah. And 
Given that, you know... That, that's the nature of random dice rolls, unfortunately. It, it is, yeah. And given that, you know, corruption only ever goes up and if we can go up and down, it, it really sort of pushes it a bit. I mean, you, Mike, you were saying, obviously, to keep your infamy up now, you really need to be, uh, you know, as a worshipper of Zinch, you might need to be sort of throwing out some more psychic powers and betraying everybody a bit sooner than you would otherwise. Yeah, I mean, it, it comes up a bit that now I've got to really work to get infamy faster than corruption. I've got to be more careful. Yeah. Have you got demon name yet? Nah. No. That's, 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 I know demon name is quite a good way of getting infamy without getting any corruption. Almost everything that gives you infamy gives you corruption. Except demon name. Except for getting a gift game name. But then you're wasting a gift on getting a name. I yeah. mean, Which is nice. I'm not yeah. going to say it's not. But, you know, I, I'd rather have, you know, some more tentacles. And <laughs> okay, no worries. Uh, Alright, so that's it for our sort of fortnight in gaming. So let's talk about what tonight's episode will be about. We are talking about Only War. Yep. And we'll do our regular news section. Uh, now, we're going to do the Comrade system. I actually thought we'd done this one, but I looked back through our show notes from previous episodes, and we haven't actually covered off the system for Comrades. I thought we had. Uh, we, I think we just when we talked about Only War in our first Only War episode as a holistic system, we spoke about the concept of Comrades, but we haven't really stepped through the Everything. rules. Everything. Oh, okay. Well, I suppose it. we can go into depth about Comrades. That's it. We're going to do the Ogren support specialty. Yep. Uh, you know, our... a support specialty which doesn't have a Comrade is probably good. Oh, no, it does. Yeah. It's okay. Uh, we'll be doing things a bit differently with Plotox, which we'll come to when that comes up. We'll do our War Gear section. For our review, I've decided to actually review um, Dawn of War. Uh, uh, I thought that sort of fit in slightly with the Imperial Guard theme. Okay, And yeah, so sure. I'll, we'll cover that off. And finally, for our discussion topic, we want to talk about players who want to go it alone in the group. You know, that want to constantly break away, pass notes to the GM, you know, be doing their own thing all the time, not with the group, and how to manage that and what the, I guess pitfalls are as well traps for young players yep and then we'll do our regular community section and finish off the show yes so we've got limited time let's get into it okay command acknowledged accessing imperial archives okay so a little bit of news to get through today first off uh, enemies within has now been released for dark heresy second edition yes uh, unfortunately because we're in australia it doesn't quite get to us just as fast i had a, a sms message from a friend who runs a game or who works in the gaming store Yesterday, he said he's just got it in, so we will have it in time for our next Dark Heresy show, which is our next show anyway, but uh, we don't have it today. So, going off what people have said about it in the um, on, on forums and such, it sounds to be quite good. I think most people are happy with it. The one thing that some people have said is that if you read the rules as written, there is nothing in the rules that expressly forbids Sisters of Battle from being male characters or psychers. <laughs> 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 No restrictions on them. Oh, uh, yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, obviously they can't. Yeah. So just, you know, don't be idiots. Yes. <laughs> but uh, if, if you're one of those rules of written people, you could try and get one over in a GM. But <sighs> I can just imagine someone turning up to like a convention game saying, oh, yeah, here I've got my psychic male sister of battle. <laughs> anyway, uh, but you know, it, it sounds like it's quite good and I'm looking forward to picking it up later on this week. Uh, now, also out of FFG, a couple of updates. First off, uh, they had a, uh, I guess, a designer diary for uh, Halls of Terror for Relic called Cunning and Corruption. Uh, focuses on a few different things. One of them is uh, enemies in the game designed to give you influence. So influence you know, being what you then use in Halls of Terror to basically get patronage and such, which is important to get your Relic at the end of the day. Yep. Um, there's also two game modes. So one of them is the, the Black Crusade mode where effectively um, the players, everybody's working towards the same final goal. 
So rather than everyone trying to be the, like each person to be the first person to get to the middle with the relic, here what they're trying to do is actually destroy all the warp creatures on the board. Um, it's I guess similar in some ways to Arkham Horror, yeah. where you had you know creatures spill out of, out of um, gates yeah. and you had to try and close all. If, if all the gates were closed and all the monsters were dead, then you won the game. So here's an option here where everyone can win. Um, likewise, another version called Lure of Chaos, where you're trying to avoid getting corruption over the course of the game and eventually at the, when the end point occurs everybody who has not been corrupted wins the game anyone who's been corrupted loses the game so just I guess different ways of playing the game as well it's interesting they brought those in with, with Halls of Terror uh, there was also just this morning actually a new designer diary for Forgotten Stars going through one of the sectors from the game so giving a bit of a sort of update on how it all works so some good stuff coming out of FFG it'd be nice to see some more role playing books in the future though so we'll, we'll keep uh, watching Watching the, the site for that. Um, now, Outer Games Workshop, they have announced Craftworld, the Craftworld Codex for Craftworld Eldar. Yep. Any thoughts on that one, Mike? Uh, it's been a long time coming, and hopefully it gets rid of some of their um, Death Stars. Okay. <laughs> some, some of the stats that make them... Yeah, the, yeah the, 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 the sea, Warlock Seer Council on jet bikes. You know, I'd, I'd like to see that go. Okay, no worries. Uh, and also on the Eternal Crusade front, uh, now there was a... A State of the Crusade update from one of the developers recently that was titled Trading with Rogues, Uncertainty and Change. And I guess when I, when I read the, the first couple of paragraphs really sounded to be like, okay, they're, they're, they're leading up to some bad news here. It's such as like, you know, oh, game development is always moving and you know, a lot of the time you know, we're very transparent. So we tell you about things that may later on change. Other game companies... Don't tell you about things until they're they're done, but you don't know about them until they until they are done. Yeah, we want to be more open with our group, and um, I was thinking, okay, there's some there's there's a, there's a there's a pitfall. There's something's going to happen where it's going to it's going to turn bad. But at the end of the day, what he basically said was that they are rethinking the way that the road trader store is working. Yep. Um, and they what may happen is they may end up redoing it and refunding everybody's points that they've already invested into. Uh, items on the road trader store as such. Like, I guess may, maybe a bit of a, a clean slate as such. That, that okay. It didn't really confirm that, but that was one of the things that was discussed. Uh, but what they did verify was that the uh, the Dawn of the Imperium and Xenos founder packs, so they're the two biggest packs, will be removed from sale uh, by by early May. So you know that they did say they wanted those things to be limited time only. Yep. Um, they're a bit longer than they expected them to be. They sort of meant to remove them a while ago, but now they actually are removing them. And so yeah, saying you know, if you if you want one of those packs, you want to upgrade one of those packs, do, do it, it soon because it will be gone very shortly. Okay. So yeah, I, I guess I sort of thought when I first started reading it, oh here we go. But no, it wasn't too bad. But it certainly it doesn't lead me to believe we're talking about a game which is just around the corner. No. Yeah, it's, it's still no, very nothing much they've done has, has ever said that that game is just around the corner. That's exactly right. Yeah. The other, the other thing that did get mentioned actually in the email, which I thought was interesting, was. They sort of talked about, they had this, this list of goals, and they want to hit as many of these goals as possible. They were all sort of emotive things, like we want the game to be fun, that sort of stuff. But um, one, of the, one of those things they put down was, we don't want players to be punished for their choices. I.e., so, um, if I decide right now I want to play Space Marines, and I start building up a Space Marine uh, thing, and I've got like lots and lots of points in Space Marines, and then they mentioned they're now going to bring out Necrons down the track as a playable race. Yep. When Necrons come out, I won't have to start again as Necrons as such. You know, they're saying I should be able to transfer my experience from Space Marines to Necrons if that's really what I want to play. So I haven't lost progress 
because they've made a change down the track. Okay. Which I guess is different for some a lot, some games. Like, look at we played a lot of Star Wars Old Republic, and one of their concepts was that choices matter. You know, once you've made a choice, you can't go back and change it as such. You know, but yeah, interesting how that pans out. I mean, they're different games, obviously. You know, Star Wars Old Republic was more of a storyline storyline play player versus environment. You know, whereas I think that Atomic Crusade is more of a player versus player type thing. You know, but yeah, I mean, I, I compare it then with something like World of Tanks, where if I've got all my points invested in the Tiger One. And I suddenly decide I want to go and start playing with a, with an M twenty six Pershing. I can't transfer all my experience as such. Although there are systems in that where some of the experience you earn is not tied. It's like it's in, it's in the air experience, not tied to what you're currently using. But yeah. I, I sort of look at that as the model for those styles of gameplay now. Anyway, but that's it for news. Unless you've heard anything else, Mike? Not particularly. No. All right. Let's get into the meat of the show. Knowledge is power. Hide it well. So on to Only War, and as I mentioned before, we're talking about the Comrade system. So let's start off, I mean, this system is unique to Only War. So what actually is a Comrade, Mike? Um, He is your squad buddy who helps you do your job. So if you're a heavy gunner, he's the guy who's loading the weapon. If you're a sergeant, he's your trusty Vox operators, sending and receiving messages and communications. Um, Yeah, Yeah, that's the thing, okay. he's, He's your buddy. That's it. I mean, I guess that the intent of the comrade system was to demonstrate the fact that Imperial Guard squads are quite large. Yes. And, you know, the regular gaming table might be four, five, six players, you know, which is a, a small for a squad, definitely. So by doubling up on a lot of those classes as such with an extra person there who's got a name and that, you know, it gives the implication of we've now got 10 or so guys in the squad, which is probably more consistent with what the expectations are in the setting. Yeah. Uh, but of course, there are limitations there because you don't want to have to have you don't want to control two characters. You don't want to be trying to role players two characters all the time. So, the comrade in many ways is designed, I think, to take a back seat. Yes, they are defined as a a rookie guard. You know, they're, they're not and they're not a veteran like you are unless you go and buy the veteran comrade talent, which we'll talk about later. Uh, otherwise, they are really just there. They are there to support you, not to be off doing their own thing as such. The other thing they're there for is for when the GM feels that some Imperial Guard have to die, <laughs> doesn't have to be but what you, Some people get quite attached to their comrades, though. Well, we certainly found in our, in our only war game. They shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> the only reason they got attached is because you weren't killing them enough, James. Yes. I, I almost actually equate them to being similar to the Animal Companion in D&D 3.5. Yeah, yeah. you know, at the end of the day, it's not like having a second character. It's like being able to use your own actions to do something through a different medium, um, you know, which also has a name and your character obviously cares about, but which, if it dies, is replaced narratively quite quickly as well. Yes. So that, that's what I sort of compare them to. So it's, it's like it's like your druid's wolf in in uh, in only war, basically. <laughs> so essentially, you compare comrades to pets. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. Uh, so I guess one of the big questions is, when it comes to when you introduce comrades to the games, and, and different GMs may take this differently, but who do you feel should play the comrade, should portray them? I'd probably say 90% of the time should be the player. Yep. Yeah. If you wanted, you could say that everyone plays the comrade to their left. Yeah. Um, or do so something similar to like, you know, Wraith or Wheel, that sort of thing, where yeah, everyone's yeah. playing the next person's side or such. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's nothing wrong with doing that as well to make a little bit of conflict. But you've got to be careful with that because at the end of the day, the comrade is there to benefit the person they're attached to. Yeah. So I'd say probably the player. 
I mean, it can be a bit odd, and we saw this at the table when we played only War Before, where you want to have, you know, a a play a PC and their comrade who are quite, you know, buddy buddy and want to talk, you know, and have that player try and hold a conversation with themselves can look quite odd, you know, but it would be thematically appropriate in the game that these two characters would be discussing or arguing or conferring over this particular topic as such. Yeah. Um, so I guess in some cases you could ask the GM to step in. In some cases, probably the GM should step in and say, look, you know, at this point in time, what you're saying your combat would do, I don't think they'd actually do that. You know, you're telling, you're telling them to, to charge that enemy position under you know, across the minefield under cover of daylight. They're probably not quite that dumb, you know. So... Um, but I mean, but the options are there anyway. I, but I, I agree. I certainly think that in most cases, the player should have control of their comrade. Yeah, you know, in, in terms of in social settings, yep. yeah, the, the, the rules control how the player controls them in combat situations. So when we're talking about narrative scenes, I think that really that needs to be something that the player has control over, unless the GM really needs to step in and and take charge, basically. So the comrade themselves, they don't really have a stat block. You know, on the sheet, they appear as a name and a wounded level. I guess the book does infer that if, if, if push comes to shove, you really need to know what their stat is. They could use the same stats as the PC. You know, effectively, they've got the same level of stats. That doesn't work, I think, in some cases where, for example, the as we'll talk about shortly with the Ogren, it, it, reading the book, it infers that the Ogren's comrade is not a second Ogren. No. It's actually... No, no, no they're it, definitely it's, it's not. It's like a guard handler, basically. He's so. a guard handler who happens to be quite big, usually. Yeah, the little ones. Um, that's it. Little ones. Yeah. They're, they're still big for a human. Yeah. But they, they generally stick people who can at least sort of wrangle the, the Ogryn a bit. Um, but no, they're definitely not Ogryn, so they yeah. shouldn't have 50 strength, unnatural strength 2 type thing. That's right, yeah. 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 So, I mean, it comes down to, I guess, a bit of, bit of common sense there. Yeah. If and when... I mean, probably as a GM, if the uh, Conrad needed to actually do something that required their own role, I'd probably look at doing it narratively. Or, or that being said, I mean, keep in mind, these guys are generally supposed to be rookies as well. So they, they shouldn't have high skills or abilities as such. I might even just give them a base like 20 or 25% chance. Yeah. You know, implying they've got base attributes plus... Maybe they're trained in the skills sort of thing, but uh, yeah, normally, normally, I think narratively speaking, normally they take the the PC stat block unless it really doesn't it doesn't suit. But you can actually improve comrades, uh, and using the rules in the main book, the, the way you do that is by buying comrade orders, which are from your specialty. Yep, uh, and they basically enhance the effectiveness of your comrade in combat or in in, in any scene really. Yeah. Uh, they have fixed XP costs. They're not based on aptitudes. And they do apply to the character, not the comrade. That's right, yeah. So if your comrade does get killed, your next comrade, it's assumed that when they turn up, you get to spend some time training They've them. They've got in. the same level of ability, that's yeah. right, yeah. Effectively, once a comrade dies, all you've really lost is the name. And until, the personality. And, and the personality until the end of that module, in which case you then go and requisition somebody when you get back and you have a new name and a new personality with all the same stats and all the same benefits, basically. Yes. Yeah. It's like a, a new wolf. All right, so when it comes to actually uh, controlling comrades, so we're not talking about, about role-playing here, we're talking about actually deciding what they do and when. Um, it, it does say in the book that the comrade is controlled by the PC by way of using orders. Yeah. And like any standard character in the system, they're entitled to two half or one full action. Yeah. Uh, now, there is a limitation in this system, which is cohesion. 
And, and this, I've always liked cohesion in these things because it represents, in a narrative term, the two-inch rule in the war game, basically, that, that everyone has to stay within close range. It's actually a lot harsher on characters in only war than it is in, in Death Watch. Most definitely. The cohesion range is five metres, and you cannot be blocked by a solid surface. So you can't be either side of a wall. You know, the, effectively, these guys need to be able to you know, be able to, to be able to get get to touch each other either each other within only a few steps as such. You know, yep. that, that, they need to be that close. Even giving effectively, if you don't have if you have radio communication, you can still issue orders, but you're not in cohesion range if they are outside of that five meters, even with communication available to you. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I suppose cohesion rule represents the real world to a degree. You don't have a squad of marines. You don't send all of them out completely alone yeah. to, to, to search a city. You, you keep them in, in groups, in squads, where they're close by and they can, they can interact. Support each other, that's yeah. It. Yeah, cover I mean, each other, everything. Yeah. Yes, there are you know, special circumstances where special forces guys might go off on their own or split up to do ambush stuff. They're not standard Imperial Guardsmen. So, you know, don't go likening those guys yes. to, to what you're playing here. Yeah. So... Uh, PCs can only benefit from their comrade abilities when the comrade is in cohesion range. Yes. So, you know, it's no good having a loader, you know, if you have a weapon, if your loader is 25 metres away, you know, twiddling his thumbs behind cover. It's, yeah. not, it's not going to really help you. Um, now, if something does force a comrade to break cohesion, to either, you know, you can actually order them. You can order them to go somewhere and, and do something. Yes. Uh, or you can... Uh, I guess they could be separated by an explosion or, or some other factor. Someone's knocked unconscious, they keep acting, whatever happens. Uh, then they are expected to try and move back into cohesion. Yes. And the rules do say that they can only use the actions of disengage, move, run, stand or mount, and tactical advance in order to uh, return into, into cohesion range. That's right. And when they're in cohesion, they are expected that when the player moves, the combat uses a half-action to move as well so if you have if, if you've moved you know your full four meters whatever it is you're now outside the cohesion range you can't then give your comrade a full round a full action order to do for example a, a take cover because that would then leave them out of cohesion range they've got to use their move action to to move up to you basically as well yeah um now this brings us then on to these actual orders yes and this is one of the things where i, I thought there was some lack of clarity in the book because it does say, the first thing it says is that orders can be given if the comrade can hear the PC, including via electronic means. So via radio, for example. Yes. Uh, now, it does also say that when they're not in cohesion range, the only actions they can take are move actions. So what's the point in saying that you can give them orders via radio when... If you're in space and there's vacuum between you and you happen to have both have comlinks, you can communicate. If you do not have comlinks, you cannot verbally give them an order even okay, so, though you're so, within cohesion. So you're saying it's more designed to limit, co- limit cohesion based on the environment than it is to yes. extend cohesion in, in a normal sense. I'd say so. Okay. I'd say so. That's the way I always read it. I, I did have this, a similar thought to you. Yeah. Like, well, if you're standing next to each other, what do you need that advantage for? Yeah. But I think... Thinking like that, I think that maybe they're saying if you're underwater, if you're in a situation where, you know, you, you can only whisper into microbeads and they're still within five meters and you don't want to scream out, you can still give orders. Yeah. 
Yeah. Because I, I could see a circumstance where something has happened that separates the PC and the comrade. Yeah. And the order you want to give is take cover. You know, hunker down until I get back to you and such. Yeah. And you can't really do that because it's not a move action as such. It's a full action. Yes. Yeah. Um, now, basically every single order requires that an action be spent on the comrade's part. Whether it's a half action or a full action. That's right. Uh, the only exception is that the sergeant specialty is able to give sweeping orders. Now, Which sweep, everyone. Sweeping orders affect all comrades and don't require them to spend actions. Usually they, they take the form of buffs, basically. Yeah. Uh, and that's one of the, I guess, the special advantages of the sergeant class is that sweeping order ability. Um, but the specific orders that you can give are the move the move commands, as I said above, so disengage, move, run, stand, mount, and tactical advance. Uh, you can do a half-action range volley, yep. which effectively they join the character in shooting at whatever they're shooting yeah. at, but all it does mechanically is give a plus five to the ballistic skill of the character's attack. Yeah, as far as I'm concerned, this represents the fact that Imperial Guardsmen aren't very good shots. Yeah, a bit like Stormtroopers. Yes, if you've got if you're a tabletop player and you happen to play a uh, Imperial Guard army, you will know this <laughs> that you will regularly be rolling twenty dice and getting like five hits. Yeah, and because it allows guns, you get maybe one penetration and then it yeah. gets saved. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, the comrades represent those fifteen guys who are shooting and missing every time. Yeah, yeah. The players <laughs> are the guys that hit. The comrades are the ones that always miss. Yeah. And, the, and the extra fire, it basically is what gives them that plus five, that yep. plus five ballistic skill bonus. Absolutely. Uh, now, another action is the half-action close quarters command. Yep. Uh, so, basically here, the, the comrade moves to help in melee. Once again, you don't make a melee attack roll. Uh, what it does is it gives the PC the benefits of ganging up, even if they don't actually outnumber the enemy. Yep. So, if, you're, if you're, you and your comrade are fighting two orcs, you, effectively, you are even numbers, but if you use the close combat, close quarters um, command for your comrade, and you both attack one orc, you effectively double team that orc, even though there's a second orc there. Remo- stopping the stopping double that double team. Yeah, that's, that's right. Uh, and then finally, you mentioned before, take cover, which is a full action. You basically just tell the comrade to you know, get down. That means that any attack that would hit a comrade has to do enough damage equal to three plus the armor rating of whatever they're, whatever cover they're behind, or else it won't do any damage. Yeah. So I guess a good way to Keep save your comrade sa- alive. Save your favorite comrade, basically. That's right. Yes. Uh, now, when it comes to actual comrades in combat, uh, about what, you know what the risks to the comrade are, um, it's possible that any hit that could hit a PC may actually hit the comrade. And this is done where an attack against the PC that rolls doubles, so 11, 22, 33, etc., has actually hit the comrade instead. Yep. Uh, now, if a comrade is in cohesion, this is really... Okay, what's the other one? Sorry, I want to say is, is blast weapons, area effect weapons, that include the PC and the comrade automatically hit both. Yeah. Um, but that's the only way to attack or actually shoot at or hit a comrade who is in cohesion range. Comrades outside of cohesion, they can be targeted as normal opponents in the field. Yeah. But the only way to actually hit a comrade is to roll doubles or use an area of effect weapon. Um, so... When the attack actually hits, if it's a multiple multiple hit attack, so say for example like switch attack or lightning attack, only the first hit goes to the comrade. Subsequent hits go to the PC. They, they, they don't wear you know burst fire as such like PCs do. Um, and the PC can roll their own dodge or parry for the comrade. Now here's an interesting question for you, Mike, because this is coming in the book. Let's just say I am the subject of a multi attack. 
Yep. And there's been two hits, and one went to the comrade, and one went to me. Can I dodge for both the comrade and myself? I'd say yes. Yeah. I'd say the bigger question is, what happens if it's a lightning attack and you roll the parry? Yep. Three hits were scored, and you parry two of them. Does the first hit still go to the comrade? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Now, it does actually say in the book that the the narrative scope of rolling your own dodge or parry is actually you pushing the comrade out of the way or deflecting the blow away, which is why my take on it would be that unless you've got wall of steel or step aside, you can't actually... Do both. Do both. Right? I don't know, because I'd see it as if you're going to dodge out of the way. You may just happen to dodge through, through the your, comrade. Through so the you, comrade. You, you, you dive onto them and knock them, yeah, knock them out of the way, and you're yeah. both out of the way. Or if you're parrying, I mean, it could be that it's a long swinging swipe which is going to go through the comrade and through you, and if you block that early enough, you can stop it from being both of you. Um, I don't know, I suppose it would come into the realms of possibility. How big is that hit? It, would you consider it possible as a GM that they could stop both? Yeah, I think it's going to depend on what the GM's actual thoughts are. Yeah, I, I could see it going either way. Um, sometimes you want to kill the comrade, or sometimes you want something to die when when you you know you know the enemy opens up with an auto cannon and scores a whole bunch of hits. You want something to die from that. That's right. And the other thing is that if, if so I'm, I'm the PC. And my GM has decided you only get to roll one single dodge roll or such, and it hits hit both the comrade and me. I may say, can I not roll for the comrade and just roll for myself instead? Because yeah. I'm more concerned. Like, so the comrade's been hit by an auto cannon. He's going to take one wound level. That's what happens with comrades. Yeah. I take a hit with an auto cannon. I'm going to take a lot of wounds and probably die. That's right. Yeah. Yes. So, exactly. <laughs> that's right. I'd, I'd, I'd rather save myself as such. Yeah, so I suppose if you get onto wounding comrades and that's right, how exactly. the wound system works. Yeah, so comrades have three states. They have healthy, wounded, and dead. Yes. So effectively the first wound against them, so it doesn't matter how much damage is rolled, you know, if it, if it effectively gets through what would be the armour, then the, the, that comrade has gone from healthy to wounded. Yeah. And when they are wounded, it just means they can't run. That's the only change to their stat block is they can't run. If they take a second hit, they are dead. That's it. That comrade's gone. There's no resuscitation or ability to bring them back. You know, just next time you get back to base, fill out a form, you know, a new comrade's on his way to you. Yes. Um, however, sometimes the GM may rule that a particular hit is so devastating that a... Comrade is dead. A comrade is dead. Now, the, 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 book, the example it uses in the book is Titan weapons. You know, so yes, I would say that, that you know, a, a comrade hit by a plasma annihilator... Is probably dead outright. I'd probably extend it a bit more to uh, the, the, just the one uh, guy hit by a plasma annihilator. But I'd also, I'd also say, for example, a las cannon might, you know, yeah, a multi melter at point blank range. <laughs> that's right, yeah, that's it. I, 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 I wouldn't just go with with titan weapons. I'd, yeah, I'd be using yeah. a bear right. hug from a carnifex would probably <laughs> probably kill him outright. That's right, but it's GM discretion though. Yes, so. yes, you may decide that the titan weapon just wings him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right now um, comrades do heal naturally when they are wounded uh, they go from uh, they, they go from wounded back to healthy after seven days of, of it doesn't, doesn't specify inactivity it just says after seven days uh, but you can make a minus 10 Medicaid test and reduce that by one day per degree of success and it doesn't say minimum so provided you had a, a, an awesome medic it would be possible to actually reduce that to zero days and heal them instantly See, you can get winged by a plasma annihilator, lose an arm, get healed back up to full within a day. Yeah. Awesome. 
So, anyway, but it, 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 these, are, these are narrative concepts, and I think that for the scope of the game, they work. Yes. I, I found Comrades, comrades quite worked, and uh, I think that, you know, we found that people got quite attached to their comrades yes. throughout the course of the game as well because people gained their personalities, you know. A lot of the time, because we were building our, our only war characters based upon particular figures from war movies as such, you know, and a lot of those people had, you know, I guess, compatriots in those war movies as well. We then fashioned the comrades on those characters as well. So they all had personality and archetypes as well. Yeah. Now, that is comrades from the main book. But there are some additional rules presented in uh, Hammer of the Emperor, basically about veteran comrades. Yeah. So veteran comrades are purchased as a talent. Yeah? So there's a veteran comrade talent. You buy that. That means that when you give them the ranged volley attack, they have an additional plus five ballistic skill. And when you give them the close quarters attack um, order, they actually add plus five weapon skill uh, on top of giving you the, the ganging up option. That's right. It also means that they can participate in veteran orders. So veteran orders are actually purchased individually uh, with XP. Uh, they're similar to like psychic powers and they have a fixed value, not based upon aptitudes. And there's a whole stack of them in Hammer of the Emperor that go through all sorts of various options, but they give you more versatility in terms of what the comrade can do or what benefit they can actually provide you as well. But in order to benefit from the veteran uh, order, they need to be a veteran comrade in the first place. That's right. And th- there are rules also in... Um Shield of Humanity for non-human comrades comrades as yeah. well. So your Ogryn can have an Ogryn comrade or your sergeant could have an Ogryn comrade. Yep. Um, and the rules are covered there under talents as well. Okay. Uh, now, the other thing is also multiple comrades. So commanders from Hammer of the Emperor can spend 400 XP to buy the Born Leader trait up yep. to four times. Each time gives them an extra comrade. Uh, now, there are some notations though. You can only give the ranged volley or close quarters order to one comrade per turn. Yep. And you can only give one specialty or advanced specialty based order per turn to comrades as well. It doesn't say whether it's basically you can give one range volley or close quarters or specialty advanced specialty order or whether it is you can only give one range volley such um, uh, close quarters and one specialty set advanced specialty order. I would probably rule that you can only give one, you know, other than moving, you can only give one benefit at a time as such. But one thing that commanders can do is detach their comrades and assign them to somebody else as well. Yes. So especially a character that, for example, has no comrade, like a commissar, you know, your commander could effectively send them off as a fire team by detaching a comrade onto that person as well. Yeah. Um, when you do have multiple comrades, uh, if an attack hits... The comrade instead of the PC, you just determine the rally which comrades hit. If they're all if they're all within cohesion range, just roll a dice, flip a coin, whatever, work out which which comrades hit. Yeah, that's probably really it for the system and comrades. Everything yeah. else I think really about is narrative. But any any final thoughts on comrades, Mike? Um, there are a few minor differences if you've got rattling comrade, or green comrade, or servitor comrade if you're a tech priest, uh, yeah. which are covered in Shield of Humanity, and you know, um, so if if you want some extra extra systems to use for your comrades, grab hold of that book. Um, comrades, definitely a good narrative tool, but I think the GM needs to take a, a fair bit of free hand there for what they do and what they allow. Yeah, I mean, you don't want to push these to, to the back because yeah. comrades are a unique part of Only War. If you're playing Only War, they, they need to feature heavily in the game. You know, give them personalities, give them names, interact with them, 
You know, make sure that there are opportunities to use them in combat. You know, make sure that they are featured as part of the game because it's the only game you get them. Yep. All right, well, shall we move on? Yes. All subsequents report to the administrator for career assignment. So let's now talk about the Ogren support specialty specifically as a part of our career discussion. Yep. Uh, so, what is... Okay, let me start with what's the role of Ogren. What is an Ogren? What? An Ogren is a form of abhuman, so they're a stable mutation um, who are really, really big. Yeah, usually the results of people left behind on high-gravity worlds. High-gravity worlds. Well, that, I always found that odd, and I, I'm going to say this here. Yeah. Squats were always the abhumans left on high-gravity worlds, and Ogrins were left on high-gravity worlds. Why are squats and Ogrins absolutely nothing alike? I don't know. They're both super dense. That's all that matters. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, they're right. They, they, are, they are a form of stable mutation or abhuman, which the Imperial Guard have recognised. These would make excellent shock troops. And they do. You know, because they're, they're big, they're intimidating, we can give them powerful weapons, and... They're not too bright, but what they are is fiercely loyal. Yes. You know, effectively, once they have sort of... Imp- it's, it's like a child. They imprint, and from then on, they you know, will follow that person or that, that commander's orders to death, basically. Yeah. Uh, now, um, I think that's really what their role is, you know. Their, their role in the only war group now is that they are a loyal, big shock troop. Yes. Uh, and, and quite effective one at that. Uh, do you think that having an Ogren in your group changes the way you would design or the way you try and run the group? Depends. If you're a tank unit, yes. yes. What about if you're a stealth unit? Um, I mean, they, they, they have agility penalty, for example. They, they but... do have an agility penalty, and they're probably going to be pretty poor at stealth, but it doesn't necessarily mean they can't do it. Um, I, I just see them more as the guys tromping along at the very back of the stealth group. And then if they, when they have to get into their ambush position, he just stands a bit further back. Yes. And then when the, when the ambush actually starts, then he comes charging through the forest and uh, bursts out and attacks as well. Yep. I think that they're not really specialised in either ballistic or, or weapon skill. They are basically, they're, they're mixed combatants. They use ripper guns, yeah. they use the, the... The main thing here is they've got something called the clumsy trait. Yes. Which means they can only use weapons which have the ogrin-proof quality. Yes. And there aren't many of those. Yeah. That's their real thing which determines what they can do. They, they've got the ripper gun, like you said, for their ranged. And they've got, you know, clubs and mauls and great weapons and things for, for close combat. Yes. So they don't have a lot of choice of the weapon they use, but... They're going to be effective with whatever they choose to do. That's it, yeah. They, they can be versatile in combat as such. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And I mean, that's the thing with the Ripper gun is it's a high-density combat shotgun which just fires lots and lots of ammo at the enemy at close range. You're going to be very close to them. doesn't really matter what your ballistic skill is. You're going to get huge bonuses to hit anyway. That's it, yeah. Now, the Ogren's comrade, as we mentioned before, is the, the Little one, which is, you know, a regular Imperial Guard who's just a bit bigger than like, the average Imperial Guard. Still, you know, heads shorter than, than an Ogren. Yeah. But, you know, still a, a big guy. Uh, so you don't get a second Ogren unless you take the actual, uh, the talent for it from uh, Shield of Humanity. Yep. Uh, but the option is there anyway to have a, a, a human as your standard comrade. I guess what this means is we've talked in the past about when, you, when your PC dies... You could sometimes say, well, my um, comrade is now stepping up into the PC shoes because obviously they can't Can't. suddenly become an Ogren as such. But what I can see doing, and I I imagine I was playing an Ogren, 
and I had my little one who I named a lot the personality of and that was a big part of who the, who the group had and the ogre died I might consider building the little one as a heavy yep. or as a weapon specialist you know they, they no longer have the ogre in a handle but they are still an effective guardsman basically yeah or I may say you know a new ogre is assigned to the little one who's going to uh, keep doing the same job they did before as well in the same shock troop capacity Okay, I've got a quick question for you. In yep. Shield of Humanity, it gives you the option to make an entire regiment of Ogrins, yes. which lets you have Sergeant Ogrins, Heavy Ogrins. Oh, no, no, wait, 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 there's an important thing I'm missing here. Is the plural of Ogrin, Ogrins? I've always done it. I've always said one Ogrin, lots of Ogrin. It's like sheep. But I don't know. Where yeah, you I, I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> Ogrins, Ogrins? I, I don't think I've ever seen Ogrins as a plural. You're right. I never really paid much attention, though. <laughs> we'll, we'll do it as if they're sheep. Okay, nice. <laughs> so you can have an entire regiment of Ogryn. Yeah. Uh, with Ogryn sergeants, Ogryn heavies and things, where their comrades automatically are going to be Ogryn as well. Do you, how do you feel that the Ogryn presented as a, as a specialty in only war compares to an Ogryn weapon specialist made from Shield of Humanity? Do you yeah. think they compare at all, really, other than both being Ogren? Mm, no, it's a, that's the whole thing. Is I think that with because only war is quite a low-powered game, yeah. that means that if you were to make two of the same specialty, at the starting level, they will be very, very similar. Yes. You know, they're going to have basically the same skills, the same talents. They have different stats, but they will only diversify as they start to spend experience points. Yep. And the thing is that because of the way aptitudes work is that there is a clear path for most characters where these stats are the cheapest and these are designed to enhance the particular style of what you are. So if, if you've tried to then go and say, well, I'm going to take a, an organ which goes down a very technical path, you can do that, but it's going to cost you a lot of XP for not much. You have got the advantage of the advanced specialties from Shield of Humanity, which let you further sort of customise your organ as leaders or... Whatever. Uh, that's the thing. But I think three of those as well. So yeah, I think it would be hard to do a, a diverse all Ogren unit as such. What I mean? What do you think? I think because of the way Shield of Humanity works, I think you probably could. Hmm. But the if you did that, you couldn't have anyone play the Ogren specialty yeah. from the main book. You just got to play the main specialty with it with the Ogren stat block, basically. Yeah, so. pre- pretty much. Yeah, and I, I think that that's that's your limiting factor. Um, yeah, I suppose the question really comes down to if you're going to have an Ogryn in the group, would you allow the person to say, well, I actually want to make them from a, in a former regiment and bring them in as a mixed regiment character? Yeah. Um, I'd say probably yes, because it will make a better character, something less fixed yeah. about what you're going to do. So you can have your Ogryn be a little bit different from every other Ogryn out there. Um Especially because, I mean, there are stable mutations that mean that you, you know, to put, put multiple Ogrens together, you get more Ogren. Yeah. Um, but do you then get Ogren coming from worlds where there are non Ogren as well? Or are they all sort of, you know. Yeah. 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 But, well. I mean, that, that was always the thing we've, we've commented in the past is it was really weird having a commissar from a prison world, you know, where the, yeah. the commissar was apparently also a, a former prisoner and had all the regular skills too. Yeah, so. I mean, they try to explain it as, oh, they try and stick people who are kind of like the same. <laughs> You know, you, you take this commissar from the Scholar Progenium and stick him in a penal legion, suddenly he forgets how to speak High Gothic. <laughs> That's just what happens, apparently. 
Um, yeah. Anyway, we, I think we've got totally off. Topic. That's right. Okay, so let's talk about actually building your Ogryn. Yeah. Now, when it came to characteristics, I really thought that the the role of the Ogryn is a combat support role. So, weapon skill, ballistic skill, strength, toughness. They will be what I would be focusing on. Yes. You know, um, I guess other other things you might look at, maybe willpower, uh, because of that, that sort of concept of, of faith. Like they're not so much, they're not strong willed in terms of being able to just think, uh, shrug off the hardest of, of jobs, but they are more childlike intelligence that won't understand the real threat of. Yeah, they, fear or pinning as such. They you know. don't understand what a demon is to be scared of it. That's yeah. right, yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's so that sort of willpower through disassociation rather than willpower through mental conditioning. Yeah. Uh, other one potentially might be perception. Yeah. Uh, for reasons I come into with the talents as well, but basically their their agility is going to be low and there are various ways you can supplement perception for agility, so it might be a way to compensate for that somewhat. Anything else you thought, Mike? Absolutely intelligent. No. Um, <laughs> Intelligence fellowship. I mean, actually, fellowship's not, not a bad one, really, for the Ogryn, because they are... They're, they're childlike, they're friendly, they, they try to get along with everyone. Well, most Ogryn do, not necessarily all Ogryn, obviously. They're yeah. you know, different types of Ogryn. I'd almost use, as a as a role-playing example, Shrek. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's the, the sort of, you know, the, the, the lovable rogue who, you know, seems tough, but really has a heart of gold. Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 why that's why I sort of ascribe to an ogre anyway. Yes, uh, you do, do your best, Mike Myers accent. All right, so uh, skills, not a lot here. They're not really probably a skill heavy class. But I put down probably athletics. You know, because they, they, they're going to have good or well, parry definitely, um, but with good strength they'll be able to do things like climb, etc. Um, intimidate definitely, and probably survival. Yeah, you know, they, they get they get a choice of intimidate or survival when they when they're made as such. So they're clearly sort of skills they, they thought was important for either way mm-hmm. uh, going on to talents quite a few talents I put down now pretty much any combat talent will help them but I, I thought okay so Berserk Charge you know if they're going to be Frenzy sort of, yeah Frenzy and of course from Frenzy you can then get uh, Battle Rage because if you're going to have Parry you want to be able to Parry as well I wouldn't worry too much about Dodge because their agility is going to be quite low uh, Combat Master I think you know it's pretty it, it's straightforward that a, a, a big guy is harder to gang up on even though he's you can get more people around him he's still yeah. You know, that much more in charge mm. of the battlefield. That much bigger, that much stronger. Yeah. Uh, combat Sense allows you to use your perception bonus with your agility bonus for initiative. So that's yep. what I mentioned before, using perception. Uh, crushing Blow. So add half your weapon skill bonus to damage and melee attacks. Uh, and then also with Hammer Blow, you can add half your strength bonus to penetration when making all that attack as well. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I thought some of the sort of tanking abilities, like for example, Die Hard. So you can roll twice to avoid death during blood loss. Um, Furious Assault. So when you're all out attack, you can spend your reaction to make an extra attack. Um, Hardy, so you always treat as like wounded. Iron Jaw, you can test toughness to avoid being stunned. Mighty Shot is basically the same thing as uh, Crushing Blow, so add half your Ballistic Skill Bonus to range damage. Yep. Um, Nerves of Steel. So once again, coming back to that concept of being harder to pin because they just don't really fear that sort of thing. Um, never die so spend your fate point to avoid the effect of injury stunning etc they're, they're the sort of did you play the new Wolfenstein game at all? no okay there's a character in that called Max who's this sort of massive like mountain of a man who's also got a a brain injury so he's got a very sort of childlike attitude but yeah at one point he ends up getting shot several times and just shrugs it off because he's so angry that you know, the person that's always cared for him is just being killed I can see that sort of Ogren being the same way as such 
Um, Sound Constitution's probably going to get those additional wounds up as well. Uh, potentially street fighting. So you get to add half your weapon skill bonus to crit damage when you're armed, even with something as simple as a knife, an Ogrenproof knife. Um, Thunder Charge, knock down opponents when you're charging on the way through. Yep. Uh, True Grit, so you can reduce your crit damage by a toughness bonus. Um, potentially Unarmed Warrior, Unarmed Master as well, so gain the natural and then um, deadly natural weapons trait. Unshakable Faith might be a good way to actually Yeah, they are represent. a very faithful, faithful yep. group. And you like particularly from um, Shield of Humanity, tear them to bits. Yes. Yeah, so there you can... If you deal critical damage, you can spend a fate point to instantly kill your opponent in a messy way, which also gives you temporarily fear too to anybody that sees yeah. <laughs> how, how messily you dispatch that guy. Yeah, I, I noticed you didn't say uh, combat formation, so they can replace their agility with their intelligence bonus. <laughs> <laughs> you, you don't see much benefit in no, that no, one for no, the Aubrey? No, no, combat sense, I think, is more. Oh, combat sense is more the way to go. <laughs> yeah, right, okay, yeah. I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, as far as advanced specialties go, uh, you've got the option of... These are all from Shield of Humanity. Yep. The Bonehead, which is basically, I guess, your... Leadership Ogren. Yeah, they're slightly more intelligent, and we say slightly. Well, uh, they're you know they're chemically enhanced and, and cybernetically enhanced brains to make Ogren slightly less dumb. Yep. Um, you know, they're the leadership cast of the Ogrens. That's it. Uh, the Borg, which I guess is sort of your melee tank. Yep. If you want to go that, down that path, and the Gunlugger, which is I guess your heavy weapons Ogren. The yep. advantage here is they can then use. Non ogre proof weapons, is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah they, so. they can buy special ability to use uh, weapons with the, which don't have the ogre proof ability. And yep. They can use those as if they didn't have the clumsy trait. So they can then use things like missile launchers, heavy yep. bolters, etc. The only problem is if they jam the weapon, it automatically breaks because they get kind of excited, unless their comrade is nearby to calm them down. <laughs> Little one says, No, don't break that expensive heavy bolter. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, Alright, so just some ideas for, for playing an ogre. I mean, just remember their simplistic nature. Yeah. You know, um, they are, they're not intelligent, but they are also um, very vibrant personalities. Yeah. They, they, they tend to mimic a lot as well. There's, yeah. there's lots of descriptions in the, in, the, in the fluff and in the canon that Ogrins mimic people. So if there's a commissar who's in charge of the group and always strutting around with a cane, the Ogrin may very well end up somehow with an Ogrin-sized <laughs> cane, which he's got somewhere. A pimp suit. <laughs> and he will be strutting around as well. <laughs> Um, yeah. all right. remember of course they are fiercely loyal to the Imperium and particularly to their squad yeah. as I said they imprint on the members of their squad and they become very protective and very loyal to the members of their squad as such as well yeah. especially I guess those in leadership roles or their handler the little one as well they become very protective of and I guess last thing to say is tank like a mofo you know that's what you're there for you have huge toughness huge strength you know huge amount of wounds that's it yeah just use it you know where yeah. Don't, don't, don't be afraid of taking a hit because they, they're not. You know, just wait in there and shrug off the damage and deal horrific amounts back. Yes. Any other thoughts on the Ogren? Uh, no, I don't think so. All right, well, let's move on then. Yep. Attention, loyal servants of the Imperium. Stand by to receive orders. So, for our plot hooks today, I had a sort of different thing I wanted to do. Now, we've had an email during the last month where the suggestion has come in that basically what we should do is add a new section to the show which is like a monster of the week. You know, we pick one opponent from the books and we talk about that opponent and how to use it and what the what the threats are. And I sort of get worried that we're, we're putting in too many different 
little sections. Yeah, we added war gear recently. We added the the product section recently. So I thought what we'll do, let, let's talk about an opponent today. Yep. And what we might do is in future episodes, we won't necessarily do a monster and a plot hook and war gear item every single episode. We'll you know we'll see what we've got to talk about. We'll maybe do one or two per episode, just to, depending on how the time goes as well. Yep. And of course, what I've heard with other podcasts sometimes is that listeners actually create their own segments too and send them in. So if anyone wanted to do that, we'd happily look at you know, putting that in the show as well. But in the meantime, so instead of plot hook today, we're going to be talking about the orc knob as, yes. as one of the opponents from, from Only War. So Mike, I mean, what is, an, what is a knob as distinct from a regular orc? Knobs are bigger. Yep. And in orc society, being bigger is everything. That's it. I mean, orcs just get bigger over time. They never stop growing, which is yep. why effectively the biggest ones become the war bosses. But there's, and there's no gargant-sized orcs because invariably they end up dying at some point. Yes. Yeah. So essentially, your orc knob is an orc which is older, bigger, tougher, been around longer, so it's got some more skills, slightly more talented at yeah. being an orc. That's it. Pro- probably able to lead other orcs more effectively as well because of its own, because of its size and its knowledge as well. Yeah, and lesser orcs will follow bigger orcs. So generally, they'll figure the biggest orc turns up. Yep. Other orcs will do, naturally defer to that orc because it can kick the crap out of them. So, I haven't played with orcs in the war game in a long time, Mike. Is it the case where you have a squad of orcs or a sort of knobs or does a knob does a knob fill the role of a sergeant basically the, the you leader? can either okay either <laughs> you can either have a squad of orcs which would be like your veterans yep like a space marine, squad of space marine veterans yep or you can have knobs leading squads okay no worries. so they fulfill the function of both now knobs in only war are an elite Type, is that right? Yes, yes, they're yeah. an elite type, so you won't meet them generally as, as huge amounts of them. Yeah. But, you know, it's unlikely you'll meet one orc knob completely on his own. Now, the concept with an elite is supposed to be that one elite per PC would be a challenging fight. Yes. Uh, looking at the, the knob stat block, I actually feel that, you know, if, if you had five PCs up against five knobs... That would be pretty harsh, pretty deadly for the PCs. It would, because they've got some pretty nasty things. For a start, they've all got crushing blow, so they're all going to do quite a bit of damage when they hit, because yep. they've got high, high fairly weapons. high weapon skill for what they are. Yep. They've all got true grit, so they're hard to kill. They all have fear one, so, you know, five orcs versus five Imperial Guardsmen. At least one Imperial Guardsman is going to fail his fear check, yes. possibly two. So it's really it's going to be five on three. For the first couple of rounds until people of rounds. stop running away. Yep. Um, and they've got unnatural strength four, unnatural toughness five. I mean, these I don't think of a one-on-one opponent for a squad in only war. Yeah. They're, they're, they're not quite master level, but I would certainly only do probably a single knob with some regular orc boys as, as troops, basically. If you're going to have a, if you want to have a, a, a multiple opponent fight as such, would you agree? I would agree, especially since you, they're all armed with snaz guns, which are essentially guns which have been made to look really nice, really nice, <laughs> according to an orc. That's it. Yes. And these things are really scary as well. They're two d10 damage and d10 penetration every time they hit. Yeah. You know, so you're rolling the penetration randomly, which can be good or bad. But for a standard imperial guardsman, that's going to chew them up pretty fast. Mm. You know. Um, I would not recommend using these one-on-one. Yeah, I think that this is one of the, I guess, the mistakes that a person unfamiliar with 
the setting could make while running only war is thinking that sort of orcs pair up against humans one to one as such you know and definitely not yeah really speaking an orc a single orc is greater than a single guardsman in in terms of the scope of the setting yeah Uh, it's just that guardsmen still manage to outnumber the orcs so especially with knobs uh, I do think that you would keep it to I mean one one knob against five guardsmen would probably be not too tough a fight they are not master level I would say probably a, a fair fight which would be difficult but not impossible yep Against a group of, say, five guardsmen, it would be five orcs, five standard orc boys, and a knob leading them. That would be a tough fight, but a doable fight. That's it, yeah. yeah. So, you could I probably mean, throw in a few extra orc boys there to make it look worse than this, because the orc boys aren't that great unless they're in numbers, and, you know, most of the time they're going to be distracted by other things. The biggest problem I can see here is the natural toughness. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, unless they've got... Fe- there's the felling trait gets around natural toughness. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Unless they've got felling on their weapons, which very few Imperial Guard weapons are going to have. Yeah. So they've got a base toughness... Of nine. Yep. Yeah, so they've a, a last gun is 1d10 plus three with no penetration. Yeah, they've all got flak armor with, you know, two. Two. So, okay. So it's going to be... You know, max, maximum damage of a las gun is going to do two damage to a knob. Yeah. Through his 25 wounds. That's it, yeah. So, yeah, it's going to take and, a long and, time to kill him with a last yeah, gun. And, and so, my, and, and, well, at least with max damage, you've got the chance of Emperor's Wrath as well. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you know, only nines or tens will do any, any damage. Um, so, yeah, when you've got a knob, you, you don't just barrage a knob with las guns. You have to use alternate weapons. This is where your weapon specialist is going to come in or... You're heavy. Yeah, that's it. Find other ways to, to take out... tank. Them. Yeah, the tank is exactly right. Well, that's probably might be reserved more for the war boss, <laughs> but you know, knob, knobs there for too long might eventually become war bosses as well. So yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's certainly a consideration is that, that knobs are a relatively rank and file troop in the war game. Not so much here. They no. are they are quite quite tough here as well. So definitely very tough. Here. Yeah, even if you can you know keep yourself alive, the difficulty is getting them down. Yep. But still, I mean, yeah, using there as a tough opponent. I think I think maybe the first time. Your group encounters a knob in a in a in a combat in your campaign. It should be one knob on the whole group. Yeah, just so they can see how how big and scary they, orcs can really be. Yeah, how do they are just on their own? That's yeah. right. And then yeah, next time they encounter if they encounter it with a, in a group or with other orcs, it's even even harder. You know, I know that when we play the Space Marine game that came out a few years ago, like your first encounter with a knob is yeah one on one. And then from then on, you then encounter them with groups of other orcs and Gretchen as well. But yeah, they are... They're a tough They're a tough one, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So. They are. I mean, an orc knob is not a matched fight, but a close match. Close to being a match with a space marine. Yes. Yeah, it's orcs versus space marines, not Imperial Guard versus orcs. It's lots of Imperial Guard versus orcs. That's exactly right, yeah. yeah. All right then, so that's an idea for using knobs in your campaign. Let's move on, shall we? Yep. Revere the Omnissia, for it is the source of all power. So I'm on to and ever since we first announced this Wargear section, this is the item I've been waiting to do. You know, I had to wait for Only War yep. before we could do this one, but this is probably my favourite item in Only War, and that is the Calixian Infantryman's Portable Communication Transcription Device, also known as the PORCOM, or uh, uh, PCTD. Yep. Now this is a... I think I think for the, to really understand what this device is, I, I think we might actually read forth from the book where it's actually described because I, I think you need to actually hear it or, or at least read it to get a true understanding of 
of what we're dealing with here. Yeah, the, 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 I suppose it's a unique ability. Yes. So, let's uh, find it in the book. Alright, so it says, Typically a gripped cylinder with a reservoir of stained liquid. The device has also been manufactured successfully on primitive worlds, such as Iacanthos, using soft-breaking metal or fissionable residue encased in a stain-resistant substance, usually milled on site. When a stain liquid is used, it can be manufactured from a variety of substances found throughout the Calixa sector, including, but not limited to, flora, fauna compression, animal excretion harvesting, or synthetic means. The source can often affect the hue of the stain liquid. Yes. It's a pen. Yes. It's a pen, or potentially a, a pen- pencil. A pencil. Yes. That's right. Yes. On well, primitive well, worlds, it is a pencil. <laughs> <laughs> So, but it's, I just love the fact it's got this ridiculously long name with abbreviations, you know. And, and it's yeah, like, it's, it's almost half a page of text about the right, pen. Yeah. It's, what, it's actually the tool in the book with the most text on it, basically, as well. And it also goes on to talk about the Clixian Infantryman's portable communication notation device, which is itself a um, uh, harvested from flora or fauna rendering processes and created synthetically, which is basically a notepad. Yes. Yeah. So it's a pen... And a notepad. Yeah. You know, now, they are, I think, abundant. Is there... Uh, no, plentiful, sorry. So, so, pens, pencils, notepads aren't hard to come by. But I just love the fact that they actually appear in the book as something that you could acquire. Yes. You know, so I, I thought this is one of the really funny sort of things they put into Only War well, that had to be mentioned. Yeah, I think it comes down to the fact that in the setting, it's writing kits. It's quills, ink pots, giant books. This is... A massive deviation from the norm. That's it. It is something which infantrymen probably have never seen before. <laughs> a pen and a pencil. That's it. Yes. Yeah, I think a good effort on FFD's part to, to put. I've never, I've never heard about the PC, uh, the PTCD, whatever it is in. Uh, so PCTD in any other, you know, Warhammer books at all. So I think this is really a creation of by the guys at uh, Fantasy Flight just for a bit of fun. Yeah. Yeah. So good on them. Let's move on. My lord. The information you requested is now available for your review. So, Mike, I'm not sure if you'll have a lot to contribute to today's review. Have you actually played Dawn of War? I played some of it. Yeah. Yeah, had a little bit of a play around. I think of, of all the 40k games out there, like the computer games, um, I'd be pushed between either Dawn of War 1 or Space Marine as to what was my actual favourite. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, that, that may change when Eisenhorn comes out later on or uh, the Battlefleet Gothic game but uh, certainly you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of Dawn of War we played a lot of Dawn of War yep um, Dawn of War 1 is your classic top down RTS real time strategy game you know it's a, it's a style of game originally made popular with I'd say June, would you say June 2 was the first real RTS game I'd say so yeah then you yeah. obviously went to things like um, Command and Conquer and Warcraft and yeah Command yeah. and Conquer was, was I suppose the big big named one that's it. But June 2 was the, the first one like that. Yes. Yeah. Um, Dawn of War, obviously, was the first one to bring the 40k setting into that style. And and I really, really enjoyed it. It had a great campaign mode. So in the campaign, you played Space Marines. Yep. Uh, but in multiplayer mode, you had Space Marines, Orcs, Chaos, and Eldar. And uh, it's a style of strategy game where you harvest resources, build a base research, upgrade bases, you know, de- develop more troop types and try to take out your opponent, basically. Yeah. Um, like, the, the campaign mode obviously had specific objectives on the maps, 
but uh, the the Molly play mode was really based around build, defeating your opponent, basically. Some of the things that made Dawn of War different from other games in that style were that rather than harvesting a finite number of resources, uh, Dawn of War was built around the concept of strategic points. So effectively, the map was covered in points that the game determined to be of strategic value that were normally just spaced apart. You know, there was no real... There's nothing in the game that indicated why this was a strategic value point. But effectively, if your group had had taken a strategic point, that point would generate ongoing resources on a time basis, basically. It would just keep generating more and more resources. The risk was losing that point. And of course, you could do things to reinforce a point, put up defences as such. And the, the greater your defences also, the more points could be derived from that strategic point as well. Yep. Um, plus, you also had the concept of needing power. And the, the game map also had various points where you could build special power generators that if you if you got to that point and build a generator there it, it produced a lot more power than just your own standard power generator back into your base yeah now i'm the sort of person with these games who likes to uh build a base fortify the crap out of it completely ignore the enemy unless they come to, to take on my base you know harvest thousands and thousands of resources um build all everything. the way build everything to the unit cap you know research everything build every building build completely the unit cap and then zerg my opponent yeah you know so, <laughs> which can be yeah, it's, it's probably not a, not a fantastic strategy <laughs> uh, I, I'm also not a big player for playing games in the hardest difficulty but I did have some friends who were big Dawn of War players where what we'd do is we'd all join on and we'd generate as many computer opponents as there were pl- human players and put it to the hardest difficulty and that would give us a good sort of you know four or five hour game and it was a lot of fun and look it felt very 40k you know you had all the sort of the the, like the guys shout you know you got the not the nice sound of bolt of fire all your typical 40k weapons and vehicles um then you had uh winter assault came out as the first expansion pack yeah winter assault added in um uh, imperial guard including having an entire imperial guard campaign as well uh, then you had uh, Dark Crusade come out. So Dark Crusade added both Tau and Necrons, but also had a game mode where you could play as any um, race on a sort of a, a campaign-style board. So rather than having a, a storyline, it was more of a um, just a, an, op- an open an open campaign to play as any race. Yep. And they did something similar then with uh, Soulstorm, the last expansion for it. So Soulstorm added in Sisters of Battle and Dark Eldar. And once again, that was more of a um, multiple armies fighting over a single planet. So you had a a big strategic map and you advanced through territories. And it did have a sort of storyline in that there was like an intro that told what your force was going for. And there was an outro if you won saying basically, you know, what now that your force had won the planet, what what that meant as such, you know. So like if, if you were the Dark Eldar, it said that, you know, you captured all your slaves... You know, including many sisters of battle and drag them back with you to Kamora to for whatever they whatever they whatever sick pleasure they get up to there basically. Yeah. Um so look, I mean, Dawn of War, like the whole series was was fantastic. I really enjoyed the game. If you haven't played it, it's definitely worth playing. It has a very forty K feel to it. Um, you know, there are lots of sound bites out of there, like music as well people use for their games to some questionable ones. I think that one of the ones we thought was quite funny was the fact that in um Soulstorm, that the Sisters of Battle, when you, like when you give the troops an order, they'd usually respond with, you know, yes, sir, or something like that. You know, the, one of the sort of random things the Sisters of Battle would say was, we know our place. 
when you set them somewhere. So <laughs> a bit of a an, oh, odd, an odd choice there, but uh, still, yeah. still, still a fun fun group to play anyway. So, um, I mean, I know for example because I obviously play um, uh, witch hunters in the war game. Yep. That uh, I, I know it's one of the big drawbacks there was a lack of. Uh, I guess defensive structures, you know, turret buildings and such. They really didn't have that sort of thing, which made it hard for me to play my regular, regular style. Yeah, fortify, defend, 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 Zerg. Um, yeah, the space breeds I found to be a lot better for that as well. Yeah, but uh, yeah, no, and I think the armies are diverse enough to keep them interesting. Like obviously, the space marines and chaos marines are quite similar, but you know, the in terms of the, just the regular troops. But what makes them quite different is the the bigger stuff, like you know, defilers versus land raiders. You know, the, all those sort of things make it really quite different. Dawn of War 2, I won't talk about it too much now, but it really didn't grab me. Um, Dawn of War 2 was more based on another game that the same company produced called Company of Heroes, which was a World War II yeah. RTS. And the difference with both that and Dawn of War 2 was that they weren't designed around base building. They were designed around, you know, limited resources of troops um, on a on a single map and you basically had to use the resources you had to defeat the enemy as such I couldn't do my regular sit and build up I, I will say I remember that one of the missions in uh, Dawn of War 1 in the campaign was that you were required to get to the other end of the map within a timeline where you had a time frame for it as such you had this whole it's it like a winding series of um, bridges and caverns you've got to sort of get through to get to the other end of the map and I, I didn't go, I didn't go past my starting point at all I just sat there and built up my resource and built up my resource and did all my research until I had Terminators and then it was Terminator, Terminators I just um, teleported them straight to the end of the map and <laughs> what way you do it James <laughs> that's it <laughs> so look uh, Dawn of War is a great game if you haven't played it it's on Steam I'm yep. pretty sure you can get all, all four of the original games now quite cheap but yeah certainly if you want some how old is it? Uh, it'll be early 2000s I think for the first one yeah, you know, it's 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 not it's hard to say. Like real time strategy games don't date so much because the graphics aren't designed to be photorealistic. Because you're talking about a top down view from you know like a, a, a sky's eye view or bird's eye view of the battlefield. So I don't think it dates too much. The intro for the first game is fantastic. Yeah, um, it's a great intro of uh, the uh, Blood Ravens fighting the uh, the orcs, and of course Blood Ravens originally came from Dawn of War. That was where yeah, the yeah, first chapter originated from. So yeah, if you haven't checked it out, you really should. Okay. All right, let's move on. Ignorance is a blessing. The data you requested is unavailable. So, for our final discussion, this is one that, Mike, I think you've wanted to talk about for a while. And, and we, as we mentioned before, this is the idea of players who like to go it alone. And I'm sure that everybody who's role-played has had this player in their group. You know, yeah. At the end of the day, role-playing is the concept of a group of people getting together to collaboratively tell a story. Um not just about their characters, but about the world around them. And you invariably get some role players who are A, hung up on their character, you know, that they really want to progress their character, but also they really want to feel that their contribution to the story is individually theirs. Yeah. And, and for that reason, they will often deliberately separate from the group. You know, like literally the whole group's like, well, we're going to go over here and do this. And that person says, well, I'm going to do something different, go over here and do something else instead. Or that person is constantly passing notes to the GM, wanting to have actions that the other players are unaware of. Now, I don't mind the note passing thing. I know, I know note passing in some games really bothers some people. I don't mind having notes passed by players. Yeah. 
provided what they are working towards is an interesting reveal for the players later on. Yeah. And I'll use the example of the first time we played the Game of Thrones game. Yeah. At the end of the at the end of the day, that game, the the conclusion of the game was pretty much the entire group turning on each other. Yep. And the fun bit was all the reveals of all the little sort of machinations that each person had done to try and secure their own survival at the end of the game. You know, with notes passed about you know forces moved in position or allies killed or assassinations done as such. You know, um, and at the end of the day, the big reveal was where the real fun was. Everyone's going like, okay, I call forth. My assassin. Oh, someone else already killed him, you know. Um, but what I don't like is note passing simply so that the person only is the only one that knows about it and it doesn't, it will never be revealed to the rest of the group what they were doing. They wanted that to be completely secret, not because it builds the story, but because they somehow feel that they've gotten more out of it because it hasn't been shared with the rest of the group. I mean, yeah. do you, where do you sit on that sort of matrix as well? Um, I don't mind that some players want something that's privately theirs, but I do believe, I agree with you that at the end of the day, really, it sh- you should trust the other players not to mess a game with, with whatever information's out there. So if they want to do something behind the scenes to do this, do that, whatever, fine, but just let them know that at the end of the session, you're going to tell people what was going on there with maybe like a, you know, a side scene where they get to see what happened but don't get to know specific details yeah and we've um, talked about metagaming players in the past as well so yeah, there are various ways to manage those players if that if that player who wants to go alone says oh but I don't want the other players to metagame you know then discuss them the fact that you have the following plans in play to yeah. prevent metagaming as well yeah um, I suppose I see it on the scale that I don't mind people passing notes what I mind is people every 15 minutes saying oh can I talk to you outside the room and they'll go outside the room for 40 minutes. Yeah, disrupting the flow of gameplay. Disrupting so, the yeah. flow of gameplay. I don't mind if it's, a, oh, can I speak to you outside the room? They step outside for like five minutes. Yeah. It's not a big deal. You know, that, that doesn't matter. That doesn't bother me. Um, yeah, but... If, no, they, if, they, they want to play through whole scenes yeah. separately as such as well. Forget so, that. Yeah. yeah. And look, one of the ways that I have learned over time to combat that sort of activity is to disincentivize it. I don't give them that 40 minute scene as such you know so I'll give you an example the um, my Scion game that I run I've talked about in the past Uh, early in the game right back to the start there was the the group was in dispute about whether or not a particular bad guy in inverted commas needed to be killed you know so so half the group felt that she had to be killed one person in the group felt she had to be killed the rest of the group felt that there was still possibility of redemption or some other possible saving as such as but they needed to, they needed to be able to find out what that was and the player who wanted to or the character who wanted to kill the person that player decided well I am going to you know lie to the group where I'm going and say I'm just going to go home now and, and but what I'm actually doing is sneaking off and I am going to go and assassinate assassinate that person as such you know and they started talking about the plan and the massive dice pools they had and how they plan to do it and how they how they get away with it foolproof wise and everything you know and and it is this person look I don't want to sit here and play through an hour long scene of you sneaking into this person's house and killing them in the night as such you know while everyone else here just sits there and watch watches as far as I'm concerned your character has the skills required to pull that off alright I'm not interested in whether it succeeds or not I, as a GM, from the story point of view, am more interested in how you deal with the conflict 
that that person's death will cause because at the end of the day, the following day, you know, the, the news story is that this person turned up dead. You know, everyone else immediately suspects, well, this other player, this other character went home last night and we were all out as such, you know. The, 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 it, it, it's, it's a pretty cut and dry case and the conflict, in a character conflict that will create whether that person chooses to lie about what they were doing or whether they admit to it now that the action's already done, you know, that would lead to interesting role playing. Yeah. But I'm not going to sit there and run through, you know, a one on one combat or that sort of thing just to get to that point. I'd rather move on with the story and get the story interesting part. And I think that that sort of activity disincentivizes people trying to build massive narrative scenes around that character yeah. as they do that. The other tool I've used in the past is when a player says to me, I really want to do this scene on my own. I really want to be, you know, this is just my character. I'll say, okay, that's fine. But there are other people in the environment around you that aren't the other PCs. I'm going to engage the other players by giving them a little paragraph about, you know, you are playing, for for this person's scene, which is just them, you're playing this NPC. Here's a quick paragraph now. We can still interact around the table because we are now playing out a scene that is not involving the other PCs, but does involve that PC, but everyone's engaged. You know, I've even run games in the past where we've played out entire scenes of the game where there are no PCs. Everybody is given an NPC and it's, and it's an opportunity for the characters to participate in an off-camera scene as such or a scene which doesn't involve the PCs that still builds a narrative. Yeah. I think that's worked quite as well in the past as well. They have, have it so that you can say this play, yes, you can separate, but we're not going to exclude everyone else from playing. We are going to find a way to bring everybody else in as well. What do you think you people should do about the one of the most common characters or concepts, which I've seen, which is the lone hero? The guy who sits in the corner at the bar and doesn't talk to anyone and the party turns up and doesn't even want to join the party and needs to be cajoled into joining the rest of the group. Yeah, that's it. I mean, it's one of those things where you, you shouldn't have to to work for it as such. So, yeah. I mean, um, we talked about recently the TV show from... from, from the UK uh, Penny Dreadful yeah and I, I watched the first episode of that show and it was like this is such a group of PCs you know you've got like a, a, a wealthy rich adventurer you know an unusual sort of you know mystic and an American gunslinger all in London in the you know the 1890s yeah it's like someone's suddenly... playing Cthulhu and someone says 1890s I want to play gunslinger it's set in London I don't care that's right we'll find a way to get you there and when the players all sort of you know when the characters meet it's like I don't really want to work with you, but I'm going to work with you anyway. You know, like at the end of the day, we are here together to play a collaborative game. Yeah. If it's if it's going to be hard work for that character to integrate with everybody else, then you need to discuss that with the player and say, look, you know, it's, so it, it, I, I think oh, I'm actually I'm, I'm a person I'm looking for other people from my group, you know, and I walk into a place where there's people that might be looking for work, and I say, hey, you, you know, you look trustworthy. Why don't you join us? That person says. No, I prefer to work alone. I go, okay, no worries. I'll go ask someone else. I'm not going to sit there and try and convince them to come work with me just because metagaming-wise, I know they're a PC. Yeah. So you've got to say to people, if that's the sort of character you want to play, um, we need to give you other reasons why you need to work with this group. You may choose, you may want to be alone, but for this reason, your character can't have that luxury right now. You know, you need somebody else, other people to help you get back your long-lost you know, family heirloom or something along those lines, you know. Yeah. Um, just, just be aware that if you do use those techniques, that down the line they will get back their long-lost family heirloom and there will be nothing stopping them from just getting up and walking away. 
So if they've never adapted the way they're, ca- they're playing their character, that's going to happen. And this is certainly with our Dark Heresy Roll20 game. This is what I'm looking at with Cameron's character, which for those of you who listen to the, um, uh, the well, watch the show on YouTube is Kangoro. So here we've got a character where they have a clear incentive for being in the Inquisition, but would otherwise probably choose not to. If, they, if that incentive wasn't there, if they, if they already had what they were after, they would choose not to, to pursue this particular uh, this particular goal with the Inquisition. So I need to balance the the information flow to that character to keep them interested in the Inquisition, but also under the belief that what they're doing is getting them closer to their goal, with the hope that when they eventually do reach their goal, they have enough invested in the Inquisition that they yes. would then they would then stay as such. And it's just a narrative concept. You know, you said plenty of times in in film or in books where a character only joins for a selfish reason uh, but later stays for benevolent reasons look at like Han Solo in Star Wars oh. you know he was just there for the money but later on he joined for the cause or the latest Hercules movie which is absolutely terrible I, I haven't seen it nor do I intend to so it's, and, I, and I like The Rock I'll say but you know <laughs> <laughs> but it's a terrible movie and that's it so I mean you need to talk to these players and say, I don't mind you having a very loner reason for being here, yep. provided we can all agree that these are the methodologies to get around it, that the other players can use, because if the other, there comes a point where you are actually metagaming to keep trying to integrate this person with the group, because they, they are just the sort of person who doesn't group up as such. Yeah. Uh, I mean, is that sort of is that what you, that's yeah, what you do as well? Or? Yeah, that's, that's pretty much it as well. That's how I deal with it. Or the other option is you have an NPC a character sheet made up for them, and when everyone says, "All right, I'll go ask someone else," you go, "Okay," and you talk to the next guy, and he says, "Yes," and here you go. Here's your character. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Yeah, that, that, that might result in a player leaving the table, or you know, <laughs> getting get that character killed very fast so they can make someone new. I don't know. Well. That's true, but I have always found that it's always the same people who do it over and over again. It's a common theme that someone has in their head that they've watched some TV show where there's a character like that, and they go, yeah, that's for me. Yeah. I mean, okay, we've talked about, when we talked about metagaming in the past, we talked about players who don't turn up as such. When you've got any problem with a player, it seems to be that our regular advice is talk Talk to to the player. Talk to the player first about the problem as such. Yeah. And, And I'm thinking about, like, you know, Let's, let's not name names here. we have one person who for most of your and my early role playing career as such was constantly like this Yeah. and I don't actually ever remember actually putting this person aside and saying hey let's call him Paul for now which is not his real name but you know it's similar <laughs> uh, you know that what you're doing is a bit of a dick move right and I, don't, we, I can't keep running these side scenes for you no no he's, he board. was told he was told okay. twice I, 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 don't, I don't remember doing it specifically but I mean and it, the, the excuse was always the same Yep. But that's what my character would do. Yeah, and and this is where you have to come in as a GM and say that's fine. Maybe you should start playing different characters. Yeah, characters who look at things a different way. Play yeah. something outside your usual scope. Yeah, and that can be difficult for some people. It can, but you know, eventually it can lead to people just not wanting that person in their game. All right, let's just move this to a slightly side topic as well because I think it blends in here as well. Uh Players who, when you say, I'm going to play a game about X, they say, I want to make a character that is Y. You know, so um, the examples being, okay, we're playing Dark Heresy. One person says, I want to play a secret Chaos Cultist. Yeah. You know. um, 
we're playing vampire. Oh, I want to play a ghoul. Yeah, we're playing. We're playing werewolf. I want to play a human. Yeah. You know, um, they 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 want to be. They want to distinguish their character from everybody else by being something different, a little bit different. That's right. Yeah. Um, and I think that in some ways it comes from slightly the same mentality. I mean, how how do you how do you find that as a problem as such? I don't find it as much of a problem. Mm-hmm. I, I think that it misses the fact that generally in these games, in Dark Heresy, all the characters are going to be different in some way or another. Mm-hmm. You can certainly make a character to be anything you want to be within reason. Um, you have to look at the reason why they want to do it. If they're going, oh, I want to be a secret chaos cultist, is that because they want to work, actively work against the party? Do they want to be the villain? Um, or is it because they feel that, you know, they've played everything else or they don't want to try play an assassin because they want to be something different? Yeah. I mean, I've certainly said to these players as well in the past that just so you know, this game is about X. So if you're playing Y, that's fine. But you've got to realise that the game will never change to be Y. You know, you will always be the outcast and such. So, okay, we're playing Dark Heresy and you're the secret chaos cultist who's working against the rest of the group. That's fine. You may have some devastating impact on the group. But at the end of the day, the game will never be about you defeating all the other players and now being you know, the lead chaos cultist. Eventually... The player character is going to discover what you are, and that's going to end badly for your character. And then after they have a chance to make a new character, that's fine. But I'm not going to allow you to derail the game from what it is supposed to be into what you want to into, play. into what you wanted to play. Basically, yeah, that's right. Yeah. We're, we're playing, but we're playing Dark Heresy. We're not playing Black Crusade. Yeah. So eventually, that character has to has to fail as such. And, and yeah, even if even if you are the smartest player at the table and is constantly screwing over the other players. Eventually, you know, outside forces will move into play that prevent you from achieving your goal. That's right, and, yes. and just I'm, I'll tell you up front, that's the situation and such. Yeah, I mean, would you say that's a, that's a way? Of, I, I way think of that's a fair way of saying it. it's like um, in our mage game, someone's mm-hmm. playing a sorcerer, and yeah. I've told them quite clearly they will awaken and become a mage. Yeah, you know, they they can have their fun with their, their fantastic sorcerer powers, which at the moment seem quite powerful. And really, I will say, in that game, for example, right now when they use most of those abilities, that becomes a scene just for them because they can't bring the rest of the group along on what they do yeah. when they're using those abilities. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, but that's going to change very soon. Yeah, that's it. So, and, I, and I think that everybody everybody is at the table with that expectation. So everybody's enjoying those scenes as a spectator while they're on because they know that they are limited time scenes as well. So Exactly, yeah. If it was just, oh, such and such is having another another moment you know then yeah. people start to tire and such but I think that the setting, setting the, the boundaries early on has gone a long way towards making that actually work yeah, quite well definitely you have to say oh okay fine you want to you want to play that thing you can why first of all okay right no worries you want to do it just because you want the experience of playing that character not a problem but there are limitations on it if that character dies, the next character you have to make has to fit within the mould. Yeah. Something like that. Something as simple as that. Right. Let's take it back to the original topic again as well now. Yeah. Talking about people who want to go alone. So, um, sometimes it can be hard if you don't know a player or it's they've only joined your group recently or they've only... This is the first time they had a character that's like this. And you might not know that that's the sort of character they plan to play until you're a few sessions in and it just keeps happening. Yeah. And you go to them and you say, you know, hey quote-unquote, Paul, uh, this is not working out for us, your character is very loner type, and they say, well, that's just my character. The option is there to say, well, how much has been defined about your character? 
maybe maybe we can actually change the character without remaking the character or killing them off and bringing someone else in. Maybe you know we can have there's a, there's a reason why you kept sneaking off even though you didn't really want to as such. You know, yeah. Um, it's not too late to turn back as such because often you, you will you will discover this problem once it's already a problem. You yeah. won't you won't know it straight away because they built it. They're not going to come to you and say, "Hey, I've got this idea for a new character. He won't with the rest of the group." That's that, that's the concept. Yeah. You know, they'll say, oh, he's a, he's a, you know, a, a lone gunman and such, you know, when you go, well, you work with the rest of the group? Oh, uh, yeah, you work with the rest of the group, you know, and then when you start So, so long as they only ever want to do what I want to do. <laughs> that's right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and, of course, eventually there are other ways to deal with it um, in character as well. If they keep going off and splitting the party, yeah, I mean, we've all seen horror movies. We know what happens when you split the party. The person who's always going off alone... They're creating danger for doesn't, themselves. It doesn't end well for them. That's and it. eventually it's not going to end well for them. I wouldn't say go out of your way to kill them. But, you know, if you know that that is a heavily fortified secret base and they're going there completely alone, there's a good chance they're going to die. Don't change what it is just to, to help their character out. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. I think we've probably said enough on this one. You I think so. Yeah. Yeah. so yeah, I, mean, I guess it's one that comes back to talk with your group. Talk with your group. Talk, talk with, with the, the player, player. And yeah, work out what works for you guys. Set boundaries, set ground rules. Yeah. And yeah, be, be prepared to adjust as you go. Yeah. All right, let's uh, get on to closing out the show. Yes. All astropaths in the quiet chamber. Message incoming. Okay, so before we sign things off for today, let's talk about uh, contacts we've had over the past couple of weeks. Yep. So first off, uh, if you do enjoy the show, please do review us on iTunes. We do enjoy to see reviews there, and any feedback is always creative. Uh, no new reviews in the last couple of weeks, but we have had some comments coming through from various sources. Yep. First off, uh, Cameron from our uh, Roll20 group posted on our Facebook page talking about our last show, saying that some of the ideas we discussed in the plot hook section have given him ideas for his own Black Crusade campaign regarding the use of, I guess, an NPC anointed yep. in this case, and, and uh, I'm glad we're able to sort of contribute to, to Cameron's game there. Uh, secondly, we had uh, a message via Google Plus from Sean uh, just talking about our conversation from the last episode about the microbead, saying that he'd always considered it to be an innocuous object which sits in the ear out of view. But when you think about it in 40K terms, yeah, unless it's at least good quality, probably even best, it's probably a large, cumbersome thing, at least the size of a Bluetooth headset, you know, and, and quite obvious as such. So, yeah, you know, 40K technology is... Covered in cogs. Yeah, it, it is not discreet by any stretch of the and imagination. Skulls. Yes, that's right. Uh, so, it was good to get that. It's, it's interesting to sort of be changing hearts and minds out there by talking about the, the items too. Yeah. Last thing was an email from Kanagik, who we spoke to, or we spoke about from our last episode from his Twitter con- conversation. Yep. And he had some thoughts about our talking about um, various players... Or various types of players leaving the, the team. If you've got like certain types of games, like what happens if the rogue trader leaves? Yeah. And uh, in the case of the rogue trader, he was saying, well, in the with rogue trader families, can you have a situation where, for example, the rogue trader family is a line, and suddenly the actual rogue trader you've been dealing with has been recalled back to sow his royal seed as such, or do whatever else he needs to do to, you know, to support the family. Yeah. And a, a lesser sign of the family has been moved into place to take over the, the mission from there, and that's why you've got a new character there as well. Yeah. I think that's probably quite a sound choice. Yeah, yeah, that's a sound way of doing it. Yeah. The, the only consideration, I think, with Rogue Trader particularly is when you have a person leave the group, does that person have to come back as the same role? And particularly with the Rogue Trader, it, it's, 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 it's not impossible to run Rogue Trader without a Rogue Trader. 
Yeah. But I think it really does help to have the road trader be a PC. I think it's only really a problem when you've got a full group yeah. and everyone, every role's already taken. You, I mean, it's difficult to say, yes, I have two arch militants. Yeah, They're that's right. equally arch. I mean, what you could do is, if a person really doesn't want to play the road trader, you could say to the rest of the group, is anyone here who would like to play the road trader? In which case, both the road trader and that character leave to do other things and then they both... Swap. But they swap, they regenerate characters or you, know, you might have a bit of a, a shuffle of various roles yeah. throughout the group. But I mean, the average group size is not eight players. Nah. So the chance of having a full team is... It is, is pretty slim, yeah. yeah. But just some other ideas anyway. So uh, if you do want to contact us on the show, there's several ways you can do it. Our website is www.grimdartpodcast.com. Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash grimdartpodcast. Our Google Plus page is plus.google.com slash plus sign grimdartpodcast. Uh, we tweet through at Podcast. Our email address is show at grimdartpodcast.com. Uh, and we also have forums at darkrain.org slash community. You can also leave voicemail for us on our voicemail link on the side of our website. So go to the webpage on the right-hand side. You'll see send voicemail. Yep. Also, don't forget, we have a drive-through RPG affiliate link on our main page. So if you're buying PDF books of any type, FFG or otherwise, please use our affiliate link. It helps support the show. And also, don't forget the D20 Radio Network, of which we're a part. That's d20radio.com. You see a whole bunch of great gaming podcasts there as well. Okay. Uh, so, coming up in next episode, which is episode 41, we are back on to Dark Heresy 2nd Edition. I want to talk about the Inquest system from Enemies Within, and we'll actually in, we'll review Enemies Within as well. Uh, we'll be talking about a Hierophant role, and we're also going to be talking about um, playing in small groups. So everything from like one gem with two or three players, even down to one gem to one player ratios as well. Yeah. So about how that works and, and how to make it effective and make it a good story as well. So looking forward to the next show. I'm, I'm looking forward to picking up Enemies Within this week so we can actually start to digest it before the next show. Yes. And we will catch up with you then. So thanks, Mike, and thanks all for listening. Thank you very much. This podcast is not endorsed by or affiliated with Games Workshop or Fantasy Flight Games. Warhammer 40,000, Dark Heresy, Rogue Trader, Death Watch, Black Crusade, Only War, Eternal Crusade, and all associated properties are trademark and or copyright of Games Workshop Limited. Fantasy Flight Games is a trademark of Fantasy Flight Publishing Inc. All other materials are trademark and or copyright of their respective owners. All original content is copyright of the Grimdark Podcast. All rights are reserved by their respective owners. Our theme music comes from Mibio's Music Alley. Music.mibio.com. Music.mibio.com.